Thank you, Seth, for leading us in worship. And I feel very sure someone needed to hear Romans 8, 28 this morning, brother. Probably me. <laughs> As the great theologian said, you know, the great theologian Bob Ross, there aren't any mistakes, there's just happy accidents. So we had one of those this morning. Will you bow with me? Father, thank you very much for gathering these people here this morning. Lord, thank you for the little flock that you have made, Christ Fellowship. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a faithful flock. Lord Jesus, you say in the word that you are uh, coming after uh, a holy, spotless bride. And I pray that you would find that in Christ Fellowship, Lord, should you return today. Lord, I pray that you would use those means by which you make us holy, which are uh, prayer, the word, worship uh, in song, and also worship at hearing the preaching of the word and then responding to it rightly. Lord, I pray that as we introduce this new book today of Judges, that you would continue to sanctify us and make us more like that bride that you want us to be, that you're coming back for. We pray this in Jesus' perfect name. Amen. Well, as was mentioned, we are starting a new book today. We finished the book of Mark last week, and we're starting in the book of Judges today. Today will be an overview of the entire book so that you'll know what to look forward to, and I know that maybe some of you aren't very familiar with this book, but that's why I love to preach in the Old Testament so often, uh, because so much of what's in the New was originally founded in the Old and we have a lot to learn. Let me start with a hook. There's a, what we call a hook. It's supposed to hook your attention. Within the first 30 seconds to a minute, we kind of decide whether or not something is worthy of our attention, whether it be a song or a, or a movie, maybe even a sermon. So let me start with this hook. The book of Judges is one of the most violent and bloody books in the Bible. How's that for a hook? <laughs> now, a sentence like that uh, will excite some of you, those of you who are into action movies, but it might be a little bit off-putting for others. You want to study things that stir up greater devotion, that stir up holiness, that stir up peace and, and hope. And we usually think of studying a bloody violent book might not produce those things within me. However, let me assure you that studying a book like Judges is the right way to produce those things in the Christian who's reading the book as it's intended to be read. This book was never meant to stir up any religious violence, of course, nor was it showing the exploits of the people of Israel at that time as something that should be imitated. Because if you know anything about the book of Judges, you know that it was actually a very bad time in Israel's history. And so instead of um, looking at this book and saying we should imitate all that we see in this book, we should look at it as more of what not to do and how to avoid some of their same mistakes it's a tragedy of the human condition in general, not just Israel's downfall and the condition of Israel at that time. It's really 
a picture of the human condition in general, which is why I titled the sermon, Judges the Tragedy of the Human Condition. Because we're going to see the tragedy of Israel's condition and how they got there. But of course, we're not just studying it for an information download or simply for academic reasons. We want to study it and say, okay, how did they get to where they were what led to their downfall, and how can I avoid such corruptions in, in my life? Well, I've learned not to assume things about anyone's Bible knowledge. So let's talk about this. Let's first talk about what a judge in the Bible is. And then we'll start with our, you know, our flyover here of the whole book in just a second. But a judge in this book is not like a, a judicial court judge. That's not what we're talking about like a court of law. A judge in the Bible is something like, like a, a, a regional, political, military leader who was used to rescue the people out of some type of servitude that they got themselves into. And that's what we see with these judges. That's what a judge is, especially for the children in this room. We hear about judge and we think, oh yeah, guilty, innocent, that kind of judge. Wears a funny white wig not that kind of judge. Uh, shares the same name, but more of like a military, political leader. That's what these judges were. Now, what preceded the book of Judges? Because I wanted to make sure we know where we are in the history of the Bible. We've got creation, the flood, Tower of Babel, which turned to the nations, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, people of Israel, they go into captivity for those 400 years in Egypt. They're rescued out of that. God uses Moses and the ten plagues to rescue them out. They're moving towards the promised land. Takes 40 years, though, because of their disbelief. But now, here they are in the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, Joshua is about to pass away. So he brings all the people together at the end of the book of Joshua. And before his death, as he's gathering them together, why does he gather them together? He reminds them of all the good things that God has done for them. Remember all these good things that God has done for you as you've walked in obedience to him. That's what he says to them. And let me also remind you and tell you what God will do, people of Israel, if you keep walking in obedience to him. This is what you can expect. But let me also tell you, people of Israel, what you can expect if you disobey him. And so he goes over all the things that will come upon them should they disobey. Should they worship the false gods of the people of Israel? Should they become um, I mean, I'm sorry, the people of Canaan. Should they become like the Canaanites, this is what they can expect. So it's a reminder. Remember all the good things that God's done for you. Let me tell you what he will do for you, but let me also sternly warn you what's going to happen. Should you not drive all the people out like you're supposed to, because all the people weren't totally out yet. They still had some work to do. This is what's going to happen, though. Should you adopt their ways, should you become like them, you can expect the hand of God to actually be 
against you. And so the book of Joshua ends with the people, guess what they say? All that you've said, we will do. It's a renewal of that covenant. That's what he's doing. He's purposefully trying to get them to renew this covenant. Don't forget it. Renew it. And verbally, they say, all that you've said, we will do. It's hearkening back to what they said at the foot of the mountain, too. All that he said, we're going to do it. But Joshua, Joshua knows them better than they know themselves. And he knows, unfortunately, that I don't think all of you will. Thank you for saying that, people of Israel, but I don't think all of you are actually going to stick to what you're saying. And that's why he says at the end of that book, the very popular quote that we've heard, maybe you've even got it hung up in your house somewhere, choose this day who you will serve as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So he makes them make a choice that day. And that's important. That's important. And verbally, they say, we're going to do it. But as we all know, also another popular saying that's not scripture, but we all know, actions speak louder than words. And unfortunately, we don't see the people carrying this out in totality as they, as they should. So let's talk about a quick outline of the book, and then I want to talk about some details of it that we can look forward to. So as for a, a quick outline, it's broken up into three chunks. The first chunk is the smaller one, chapters one and two. And it's really all about how Israel fails to drive out the Canaanites. That sets the book up. They fail to fully keep the commands of God. And it's those commands that they don't keep, the fact that they don't fully drive the inhabitants out like they're supposed to, that comes back and bites them. And isn't it that way with us as well? The sin that we tolerate in our, in our lives is the sin that will usually lead to our downfall. Isn't that true? It's true in my life. The sins that I tolerate in my life will come back to bite me. We've got to walk in holiness. And this is what the people of God were told to do. That's why Joshua started off, or I should say ended rather, his book by saying, obey the commands of the Torah, the law. Obey them. Walk in them. And chapter 1 starts out by saying, well, you know what? Judah, people of Judah, they drove, people, they drove these people out. And you know what? These other people, they drove these people out. But then we get sprinkled in slowly at first in chapter 1. It actually starts to come up in, uh, in verse 19. It says, but they didn't drive out all the inhabitants. And then verse 21, a few verses later, it says, they didn't drive out all the inhabitants. But then guess what? The, the second part of that chapter is just a list of how they didn't drive these people out and they didn't drive these people out. And then it just, it's like it gets thrown in a bucket load. At first it was just sprinkled. Yeah, they, this was pretty good, but they failed here. And this is pretty good, but they sort of failed here. And it just goes on to their failures and failures and failures. It didn't drive the people out. They failed to drive them out. Then the middle portion of the book, which is definitely the longest, chapters 3 through 16, deal with the corruption of Israel's judges. These are the leaders. And as you know, when you have a corrupt leader, it tends to trickle down to the people. And so this is where we get all the judges. Some of them you know better than others, like 
if I was to say right now, scream out a judge in the Bible, scream out the first name that you can think of, you'd probably think Samson and Deborah and some of those, right? And so this is a Gideon. This is where those come in. And you know what? They start off as pretty good. Like in chapter 3 and uh, 4 and 5, that's where we hear about Othniel and Ehud and Deborah. And you know, these judges, they're pretty good. They're not great, but they're pretty good. But then it goes into this just downward spiral of these other judges like Gideon. And you know, he's okay. And then we get to some named Jephthah and others. And you know what? They're just bad. Jephthah especially. He's just a lot like the people around him. So one practice that the Canaanites had was child sacrifice. And what do we see Jephthah saying? You know what? If this doesn't happen, I'll, I'll sacrifice my daughter. Or I think he said, actually, if this does happen, then I'll, I'll sacrifice my daughter. And then it ends up happening. And so he's a lot like the people around him. That's what we see. These leaders end up being a lot like the nations around them. And then it just goes to worse. I mean, we end with Samson. I don't know he's one of the most famous because of his strength. But you know, as you read about Samson's life, he's really not someone who you would want one of your sons to grow up to be like. He's really not. He's egotistical. He's got a problem with lust big time. Um, he's very foolish, actually, very foolish. Now, of course, he goes out with a bang, but, I mean, it's really tragic, though, how he goes out. It's not like no one would look at his life and say, that's, that's how I want to go out. I want to, I want to have had my eyeballs gouged out and I want to be a prisoner and then just push this building down on top of myself. Wow, I want to be a lot like him. No, we end with a really bad judge making bad choices. Well, verses, set, uh, chapters rather, 17 through 21 make up the last portion of the book. And honestly, it's just very disturbing. I mean, those last chapters, they're just very disturbing. And they begin and end with, the, with, with this verse. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's a sandwich. That verse starts it, and that verse ends it. And it, everything that's sandwiched in between is just not for the faint of a heart. It's very disturbing, actually. It's definitely not rated G or even PG. It's not good. And so what are we seeing? The corruption of the people of Israel. That's what we see there, just how corrupt they become. And we're supposed to see this. We're supposed to see this downfall. And it all goes back to where we get like a preview of the entire book in chapter 2. In chapter 2, we get this thing called what I call the sin cycle. Sort of a spin cycle. Well, this is like a, this is the sin cycle, and this is how it works. The people of Israel would sin by usually worshiping some idol of the people around them or intermarrying or something like that with the people around them. They would start off with something that was breaking God's laws. This is the, this is the cycle we get. We, we read about this in chapter 2. Well, because they sinned against God, 
what happens? Exactly what God said would happen. I will raise up a nation to come in and invade you, and they will make your life hard with bitter labor. That's exactly what happens. A nation more powerful than them comes and invades them. Why? Because God is not on their side. God's not fighting for them anymore. He's removed his good hand from them. And we'll see that in our lives as well, won't we? We will see our lives getting hard and frustrating and bitter the further we pull ourselves away from God, the more we give ourselves over to sin on purpose. For the Christian, that comes in the form of discipline. And it's meant to draw us back. It's meant to give us that good grief that we talked about. Remember when we talked about Peter denying the Lord and we compared Peter and Judas and we talked about Peter having good grief because it brought him back to the Lord Jesus. And of course, Judas's grief was a worldly grief we, t- we, we read and it led him to take his own life. So for the Christian, this hardship for us is meant to make us draw near to God. Now, for the non-believer, guess what? He will also give you over to the lust of your flesh, like we read about in Romans chapter 1. That's actually why we see some people are given over to homosexuality, we're told, in Romans chapter 1. It's because they continue to believe the lie. And God gave them over, and gave them over to worse and worse and worse forms of vile wretchedness. And it culminated in acts like that that are sad and really show the depravity of of man's heart. And so the people of Israel were in servitude, and life was bitter for them, like God said it would be. And then what happens? Well, of course, when it's hard, they say, save us. Starts with sin, goes to servitude, and then save us. They cried out for help. Lord, we're sorry for what we did. Please help us. And that's when the Spirit of God would move upon a judge and God would raise up that judge and he would save them. Or she, one of them was a female, Deborah, would save them and come in. That's why I say the next one is salvation. After they save us, Lord, he would have compassion upon them. He would be merciful to them. He would remember his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. And he would rescue his people. They did not deserve it. But God, being merciful and kind as he is, would be patient with them and raise up a judge to save them. Well, then guess what? After they were saved, a few years would go by. Ah, and they would feel safe. They were back in their safe place and they would feel good again. And look, there's really no trouble upon us right now. And then they would start looking at the nations around them again, getting comfortable with the nations around them again and fall right back into the ways of the world. And that cycle continues over and over and over and over again in the book of Judges, so much so that you read it and you just want to scream at the Bible, can't you idiots see what you're doing? I mean, seriously, how foolish are you? How short is your memory? Do you not remember what happened before? And then we say, this reminds me of someone, me, My attention is pretty short, too. I can forget some amazing thing that the Lord did for me just last week. I start going back into the ways of the world, just like the proverb says, 
As the dog returns to its own vomit, so the fool repeats the folly of his sin, right? And that's how we are. And so we see that cycle, that sin cycle is going to be repeated over and over and over again. Which is why I believe this book will be very good for us to study. You'll learn a lot about yourself in this book. You'll you'll learn a lot about the lure of the world. You'll also learn a lot about your own corrupt heart and the fact that you forget so often how good God is and forget also how empty the promises of the wicked one are. Because he hangs something in front of your face often and says, don't you want this? You would feel really good if you did this. And we say, "Uh, okay. And we grab it and we say, hey, this didn't feel as good as you said it would. And he points and laughs while you grieve and then you repent And the Lord brings you back and says, now we need to learn from this, don't we? And you say, yes, sir. (laughs) And we see, so we see the cycle in ourselves, which is why I want to go over this too, because it's also going to remind us of the lure of the world and just how empty it is. It's, It's going to remind us too of the consequences of refusing to submit to the Lord's word. The consequences of thinking Others know better than God and then believing those people. And some of you say, well, Cohen, you know, I don't really struggle with that, but still, I think I'll get some benefit from this book. Pam's smiling because she's been in the faith long enough to know that, yeah, we do think that way when we're young and dumb, don't we, until wisdom has been applied to our hearts. And so I think there's a lot of wisdom to gain from this book as well. And so as we're going through this book, I'd like to also try to find Proverbs, different Proverbs that we can apply to our text as we go along because we need to grow in wisdom and godliness. And this book will definitely help us in that. I mentioned earlier that the Spirit of God moves upon different judges in this book and empowers them to do what they do. This, however, in no wise means that everything that the judges do in this book is endorsed by the Spirit. Are we clear there? Just like everything that the Holy Spirit inspired to be recorded in Scripture doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit endorses you do that. The Holy Spirit recorded the temptation in the garden as a just to show us what happened. And of course, the Holy Spirit is in no eyes saying that, oh, therefore, you can fall into these sins, and that's okay. The Holy Spirit records all of David's life. Parts of it are to be imitated, parts that line up with the law of God. However, parts of it are recorded on purpose so that we can learn, don't do that. What about Jacob? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Reading his life is like watching a soap opera, isn't it? It really is. It's entertaining to read, but it's just like, goodness gracious, how much more drama can come into this man's life? And we're supposed to see that because we're supposed to see foolish actions like he makes leads to all kinds of drama. And we're supposed to see that 
We're supposed to see what a contrast. Oh, my word. So just because the Holy Spirit comes upon a judge and empowers this judge to do some miraculous feat does not mean that the Holy Spirit is endorsing everything in that judge's life. We need to know that as we start this book. We definitely need to know that. Most of you have enough wisdom to know that already, but the disturbing things in this book, the violence in this book, the tragic tales in this book are meant to show us that Israel becomes like Canaan. Israel becomes like Canaan. We're supposed to see that. We're supposed to see this tragic tale. It's supposed to slap us in the face, which is why also I want to study the book of Ruth right after this because they, they go together, don't they? You're going to see when we get to the book of Ruth that it is like a beautiful orchid growing in a stagnant, ugly swamp. And we're supposed to see it that way. So after we study Judges, we'll study Ruth because it is a beautiful follow-up to a very, very tragic, very tragic book. And so as Israel fails to drive out the Canaanites, that leads to corrupt leaders being raised up and they get worse and worse and worse, and because they get worse and worse, it leads to those final chapters of the book where we see the corruption of the people of Israel being so shocking, so shocking. And it all goes back, it all is meant to make us all go all the way back to those very words that ended the book of Joshua, where he says to them, obey the commands of the Lord, you can expect these good things. Disobey them, and you can expect this. And we see it following that exactly, don't we? So, it's good for us. It's good for us. This, this book, this study, this, this flyover is going to be good for us because we're also moving towards the promised land. In the Pilgrim's Progress, he calls it the celestial city. And Christian is going from um, the corrupt place, which is called the city of destruction, and he's moving through life on his way to the celestial city. And as he's moving, all these temptations come, and some of them he takes, and he learns from it, and then he gets to the celestial city one day. And so we're all actually moving towards the promised land as well. And in fact, we're sort of in it, because we have a taste of it. John 3.16 says that, all who believe have eternal life. Did you know eternal life began for you the day you believed? You have eternal life now. Right now, your spirit has been born again. And it's a soul that will never die, right? Eternal life began for you now. So you have a taste of the promised land in your heart already. But we're Aliens and strangers right now, aren't we, in this place? But still, this little bit that we have within us, this kingdom of God that we experience within us already, unfortunately, is still sort of inhabited by the flesh. And we're told to put the flesh to death. John Owen, really famous for that quote, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. 
We see that in the book of Judges. Drive out these inhabitants or they're going to influence you. They're going to corrupt you. And so guys, this book is a picture for us as well. This promised land that we already have, it's still got some of the flesh mixed in it until that final day. And we're to drive those inhabitants out. You know, when in World War II, when they were storming the beaches, and it was easy to pick off some of the easier um, top, um, not, uh, enemies that were there on the beaches, but you know, some of the enemies were, were hidden in holes and in, in caves and, and things like that, and those were harder to get at. Those took a lot more rooting out. And you know what? Some of your sins are like that too, aren't they? You know, when you first got saved, there were some just blaring things that the Lord was able to point at and say, okay, that's got to be out of your life, and that's got to be out of your life. And you said, okay, that's, that, that's an easy enemy. We can knock that one off really quickly. But there were some, there's some things, some sins that are a bit more hidden, a bit deeper rooted, aren't there? That take a little bit more work to root out. You know, some of the people weren't driven out in this book because they were harder to drive out. And what the people of Israel should have done is said, Lord, we remember, we remember that long ago what you did to one of the most powerful nations on planet earth, Egypt, we remember what you did. You came through. It would have been impossible otherwise for us to escape their clutches, but you did it. You did it, Lord. And we remember just a few years ago some of those harsh battles with Joshua. We were outnumbered. They had chariots of iron. And you did it, Lord. And we remember when we came to Jericho, that city that no one had ever taken, and you just told us to obey you. And we marched around, we blew trumpets, and we just shouted. And you made walls fall down. So, Lord, yes, these people are much harder to drive out than those few over there were. But we remember and we believe that you can do it. That's what they should have done. But you know what they did? It's hard. That's just, gonna, that's just hard to do. We can't drive them out. It's just it's a lot of work. And this is true of me, so I feel it's probably true of you too. You know, some of those things that are lingering within me for years, some of those enemies that are just deeper down in the tunnels of my heart. You know why they haven't been ripped out by the roots yet? It's just harder. It takes more work. It takes more prayer. It takes more devotion. It takes more steadfastness. And it takes more faith in believing God's word to get it out. And so this book will teach us a lot about that as well what they didn't drive out because they said, it's just too hard and they didn't believe God strongly enough, corrupted them. So this book will be a really good warning to us too about those enemies that are a bit more sticky. They just stick around. They can't be tolerated. We look at athletes sometimes that are really good at what they do. And we say, wow, I wish I was like that. But we just see them on race day, or we just see them at the game, and we think, 
He just woke up and came to the game and he's just able to do this. What we don't see is the hours and hours and hours of practice, sometimes years, a strict diet. We don't get to see all that discipline. We just see the outcome and we're like, wow, that's amazing. Or even someone playing a cello beautifully or a violin or a flute and we say, yeah, I bet she just woke up out of bed this morning just, and just can grab it and do that. Well, yes, she can, or he can, but you know where that came from? Discipline. Lots of it. And so this will teach us, this will be a good warning for us about that as well. Be disciplined in our spiritual lives, and it will equal freedom. Undisciplined will equal corruption. So that's why I wanted to choose this book for us. I hope God uses it to help us be holy and upright. I'm going to end with this quote from Tim Mackey. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of him, but he's um, one of the creators of the Bible Project. They have really great resources. Uh, he's got his, he's actually Dr. Tim Mackey. He said, the story of Judges has value as a tragedy. It's a sobering explanation of the human condition, and ultimately, it points out the need for God's grace to send a king who will rescue his people. Let me read it again. The story of justice has value as a tragedy. It's a sobering explanation of the human condition. And ultimately, it points out the need for God's grace to send a king who will rescue his people. So I really believe God's going to use this book in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we look forward to studying any part of your word I pray, Lord, that you would please help us as we look at the book of Judges in weeks to come, that you will use it to encourage us and help us, Lord, to drive all sin out, to push out all forms of the flesh, to put to death all forms of the flesh and let it be a warning to us so that we don't end up corrupt as we see so many tragedies as we go through this book. Lord, please help us to look to the fact that we have hope in a king who came to save. Jesus Christ, who took the punishment for sinners, died, shed his blood, took the corruption on himself, and rose again from the dead. We have hope in Jesus Christ, and we're grateful for him, our king, the king of Israel. We pray this in his name. Amen.